The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. We want to take this moment to congratulate Netflix for the recent Oscar win by The Elephant Whisperers for Best Documentary Short. We had a chance to speak with director Cardiki Gonzalez and producer Doug Blush about their film. It's a story of how Bowman and Belly adopt a young orphaned elephant ragu. As Doug said, it's an unusual family story. And it's also subtly and unobtrusively a meditation on the relationship between humans and the other species of an ever warming world. So once again, congratulations, Cardiki, Doug, everyone who worked on the film and could see the Elephant Whisperers now streaming on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, I'm talking to Brandon Kramer, the director of The First Step, and to his brother Lance Kramer, the producer of The First Step. The First Step had its world premiere at the 2021 Tribeca Film Festival, and then went on to screen at AFI Docs, Denver, Nashville, Hot Springs, and many other festivals. The film has also been released theatrically in over 30 cities with more than 50 partner organizations. Brandon and Lance are a filmmaking team based out of Washington, D.C., and it was through their debut feature documentary, City of Trees, that they first met Van Jones, prominent CNN commentator and prison reform activist. After collaborating with Van following Trump's election on an award-winning web series that went viral, the brothers reconnected with him for their second feature, which became The First Step. The film documents how Van and a team of his fellow activists worked to gain passage of The First Step Act, a prison reform bill under the Trump administration. I'd been following the making of this film for a number of years, and when it was finally completed in 2021, I felt like the film really landed. It accomplished everything it set out to do. It told a story that worked on multiple levels. It was a fascinating personal portrait of Van Jones and what he was going through as he was caught between the worlds of progressive activism and his desire to get this bill passed. It also works as a modern day, how a bill becomes a law. It really does show you how the sausage gets made, but it also shows you what's at stake, which is if this bill does get passed, it's going to benefit the lives of thousands of incarcerated people. I think that the first step is an important film. It will become an essential historical document of what was going on politically and legislatively during this time period. It's a blueprint, I think, for activists about when to move forward, how to move forward, who to ally yourself with, and how to hold on to your core values and continue to always keep your eyes on the prize. The first step is now available to be streamed on Amazon Prime. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram, at TopDocsPod, and on Twitter, also at TopDocsPod. And now, my conversation with Brandon Kramer and Lance Kramer, the director and producer of The First Step. Brandon Kramer, welcome to Top Docs. Thanks so much for having me, Ken. And Lance Kramer, welcome to Top Docs. Hey, it's great to be here talking with you, Ken. Thanks for having us. And it's great to have you both. And so folks know Brandon is the director of The First Step and Lance is the producer. Lance, can you please give us a brief logline of the film? The First Step is a story about Dan Jones and a coalition of advocates really from both parties who came together amidst the divisiveness of the country under the Trump administration to fight for the passage of a bipartisan criminal justice reform bill that came into law and has since brought thousands of people home from federal prisons and in the process was ultimately a highly controversial bill and fight to make the bill law. Brandon, can you tell us how you first met Van Jones and what was your first collaboration with him? We first met Van when we were completing our first feature doc, which is called City of Trees. Van was the green job czar to the Obama administration. And our film City of Trees deals with a story about green jobs in a neighborhood in Washington, D.C. We reached out to Van. He was kind enough to watch a cut of the film. This was our first film. He loved the film. He wound up coming on as an executive producer with his company, Magic Labs Media. 
that started the relationship, which then led to in 2016, when Van was on the air on CNN debating conservative leaders, we had a conversation with him and came up with this idea to have him go into the homes of Trump supporters and get out of the studio environment and into people's living rooms and model for the country how to speak across these growing divisive lines. We shot the series with a volunteer team in the course of a day. We released it on Van's Facebook page. It was called The Messy Truth. It was a real grassroots effort in the lead up to the 2016 election. The series went immediately viral. It was seen by over 4 million people. It won two Webby Awards and eventually led to a show on CNN called The Messy Truth as well, which adapted some of the ideas that we had established in that series. The Messy Truth then evolved into what became a five-year journey, which is the first step. When did the idea for what would become the first step first take root? It was in the days after Trump was elected in 2016. Van, Lance, and I were sitting down over a cup of coffee, we had just finished the Messy Truth web series. Trump had just been elected president, turned to Van and said, what does the next four years look like for you under this new administration? And Van said to Lance and I that a lot of his peers in the progressive movement, other leaders, were going to be resisting and fighting this administration and Republicans who are in power over the course of the next four years. And that was really important work. He felt like someone needed to be leading a different strategy of engagement, a strategy of trying to find some common ground on a few issues where there was some room for engagement, which in his mind at that time was criminal justice reform and the addiction crisis. At this point in time, the first step back bill did not exist. Van did not know Jared Kushner. The coalition behind this bill didn't really exist. Van was just a public figure who was setting out to go against the grain and on a mission to build bridges during one of the most divisive moments in American history. Lance and I, as documentary filmmakers who were deeply concerned about the growing divides in the country, felt that whatever happens following this public figure, this civil rights leader who is attempting to do something that we knew would be extremely controversial, extremely perilous, would be an important document for the American public to engage with so we can learn and understand how to build bridges more effectively in this country. So let's get into the film. The opening sequence takes place at the annual CPAC convention in Washington, D.C. in 2019, I believe. And for folks who don't know, CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Coalition. You show Van making his way through the convention hall, interacting with various people. And this is enemy territory, if you will, for Van, or at least that's how many on both sides would perceive his appearance there. He's then interviewed on stage and is asked, Van Jones, what are you doing here? You then cut and we don't get back to this until the end of the movie. My first question about this sequence is to kind of flip this. Why was Van Jones invited to CPAC in the first place? Brandon, do you want to take that? Van Jones was invited to CPAC because Van had, soon before CPAC, was in the Oval Office with then-President Donald Trump as Trump signed the bill, the First Step Act. Van had worked very closely with Jared Kushner and Trump and that whole administration to get this bill over the finish line. One of the primary goals was to get the bill signed, which freed tens of thousands of people from federal prison. But equally, if not even more important than that piece of legislation, was making criminal justice reform a safe issue for Republican leaders and the Republican Party and conservatives. This was a major strategic goal of Van and their entire team. So when CPAC happened, I don't know exactly who invited who or how it happened, but there was an opportunity for Van to appear with Matt Schlapp on stage there to discuss what had happened in the fight to get the First Step Act passed, and in particular to affirm and encourage Republican support for criminal justice reform. 
the reason why that is so important was because when you have a federal bill passed and when you have the leader of the Republican Party, then President Donald Trump signing this bill, then it allows criminal justice reform to be a safe issue for Republican governors and Republican state legislatures to pass replica versions of that bill in state houses. Most of the prison population in America is in state prisons, not federal. So while the impact of that bill was important, the impact of reaching and making this issue as a narrative safe for conservatives to come in support of it was equally as important. This was a victory for Van and his team. So that was Van's reason for being there. It was a very controversial decision to be there and to tout the Republican Party's endorsement on this issue. And you see in the film, the consequences of him being there are both that it did embolden and encourage their fight to be pro-criminal justice reform, but it also hurt a lot of his relationships and trust with progressive leaders on the left because he made some comments around Republicans being leaders on this issue. And as we all know, you know, progressive leaders and advocates have been at the front lines of this fight for decades. And that caused a lot of damage, which is then explored in the film. I want to ask you structurally, you know, about this device of taking us into CPAC, getting us to a certain moment and then cutting and then kind of bookending it and bringing it back at the end. How did you settle on that from a creative standpoint? It's a great question, Ken. As I'm sure you know, openings to documentaries or really to any films is one of the hardest pieces of the edit to crack. We probably have 50 versions of how we opened this film before we settled on this. In City of Trees and this film, it was the last scene to figure out. And it always is. And my mentor, Carol Dysinger and Louis Erskine, they affirmed that as we were working on the edit. I think we landed with CPAC as the opening because we wanted to, in a very direct and emotional and human way, drop viewers into what it feels like to walk into the lion's den. And what better moment in the 400 hours of footage that we had collected than Van attending the National Conservative Conference you know, I remember being there with him. And what's amazing is he's taking a huge leap of faith and courage, I think, to step into that space. And he wasn't stepping in there to attack them or vilify them or ridicule them. He was stepping in there to say, you all did something good on this issue. And yet still walking with him through the hallways, you had people coming up to him, attacking him, not physically attacking him, but verbally being very harsh with him. But then also you see him on stage with Matt Schlapp and there's a closeness and an intimacy and a relationship that has been built there that a progressive leader has been able to build with a conservative leader. So in those first two minutes, you're able to know exactly what the film is about. It's about here's this civil rights leader who's working across the aisle. You're introduced to it being extremely hard and difficult and painful. And that foreshadows what you're about to see for the next 90 minutes. And yet you're also seeing a relationship and an intimacy and a connection between a progressive and a conservative, which makes some people really uncomfortable, which is also what the film is about. So it encapsulated a lot of the complexity, relationships, and also conflict that I wanted people to know that that's what the next 90 minutes of the film is going to do. Openings are very hard because you have to hook people. You have to set up context. You have to introduce your protagonist all in the course of what, a minute or two. The other reason it was the opening is because, and Carol Dysinger really actually helped me realize this, is that question, Van Jones, what are you doing here, is really at the crux of the whole film. And so to have somebody in your scene ask your character a question that the whole movie is about is kind of a gem and something to hang the whole film onto. I think it's really effective. And then when you come back to it at the end, not only do we sort of get closure on that moment, but it carries us through the end of the film. So it really works. There are basically three films in one here with the first step. And I think that's kind of a high wire act to be sure. There's Van Jones's own story, there's the story of how the First Step Act, which is a prison reform bill, became law. And then there's the story of how Van Jones and his fellow 
advocates put together a coalition of West Virginians who were experiencing the devastating impacts of the opioid epidemic with activists in South Central LA who've been fighting the crack epidemic and working for social and criminal justice for their communities for years. What unites all these stories? When we started making the film, we didn't know what was going to happen and where the story would go. We had an access point and a relationship with Van. Some filmmakers have the problem of there isn't a story that develops and, you know, it's trying to see, is there something happening? In our film, we had the opposite problem where we had an abundance of riches. Jared Kushner made a public announcement that he wanted to work on criminal justice reform. His dad was incarcerated when he was a child. He cared about this issue and wanted it to be part of what he did as an advisor to then President Trump. That ignited a nearly immediate journey of Van working with Jared, trying to build this coalition of advocates and politicians to form a bipartisan coalition on this bill. That was an incredible story that we were deeply drawn to. Around that exact same moment, Van had this idea that we thought was a little wild and out there at the time. I've since learned that when Van shares an idea and he has a dream or a vision with you know, other people, maybe that dream or vision doesn't come true with Van, it comes true. So Van sat down with his entire team and said, I want to take activists from South Central Los Angeles who've been fighting this addiction crisis, take them on a plane to West Virginia to build community and relationships with conservative white leaders in West Virginia who are battling the opioid epidemic. We felt like following that story and documenting what bridge building on a very human level for people in these communities who have lost loved ones, who are very firm in their political views on the right and on the left, what that would look like to actually be on the ground in rural West Virginia at a diner and breaking bread together, sharing their loss, but also their feelings around their political views and coming together. We felt like that was you know, something that we needed to at least explore and document and see where that went. And then at the same time, Van's mother was dying as he was building this coalition. He was increasingly becoming isolated from parts of the progressive movement for stepping across the aisle. He's going through a divorce. There's just a lot happening in his life. I'm also drawn to him as a bridge builder and as a human being. And you know, he was bullied as a kid. He had a speech impediment. He is a very unique kind of advocate and human being in this world. And so we had to make the very tough decision. Do we follow one of these storylines? Do we follow two of them? Do we follow all of them? And at the end of the day, we decided and realized that the richness of this story was the intersection of all three of these threads. That to really understand the complexity of building bridges in this moment in time, there's real value to understanding the bridge builder, seeing the very human messiness of what it takes for someone to step out on a national stage and go against the grain. What's the human toll of that for this individual person, Van? What it looks like for the people that this leader is trying to actually get to build these relationships on the ground and to see what bridge building looks like between political leaders, which is different. It doesn't have the same emotional resonance, but it has a very practical resonance that I thought was very important to see. What does it look like for Hakeem Jeffries to be working alongside Jared Kushner on a bill? Where does that work? Where's that coalition building in this story showing and modeling an example of bipartisanship that's effective? And where is it causing fractures and splits and alienating other leaders and not being effective? We realized that it was all three of those threads together that would make the best film. It was a very consequential decision for us to follow all three story threads because it basically meant that Lance and I were giving up our lives for the next five years because we were essentially making three feature films at once put into one. It was a consequential decision because it made the film a lot bigger, a lot harder to tell the story, a lot more time, a lot more resources, a lot more, all these things. But I think the result is a film that is extremely timely and also evergreen and impactful. 
you know, Lance, we haven't had a lot of producers on this podcast. So I'm curious from your perspective, how did having those different story elements make your life more challenging as the producer? It definitely didn't make it any easier. I'm sorry. But no, but it, I mean, I have myself to blame. It wasn't like this was Brandon coming to the table saying, I need this and I need that and I need that. Go do it, Lance, the producer. It was like, we were coming up with these ideas together and I knew that, you know, our curiosity was going to create complexity and challenge for us that was going to be really hard to manage, but it just felt like the right thing to do. And that was the story we wanted to tell. So I felt very game to step up to the challenge, though admittedly, I didn't understand at the time just how fast those challenges would be, but I just knew it was going to be ambitious and we wanted to have the right resources to be able to support the time and also the team to do the work. So I tried to do my best to just estimate what that would look like. And to her great credit, Marilyn Ness, the amazing producer from Big Mouth Productions, worked with me very, very early on in 2017 to just scrutinize the hell out of the budget and look at what it was going to cost and what it would take time and money-wise to do something like this, even though we didn't have all the specifics. Looked at the budget and worked on it for months. And then this is a lot of money and there's a lot of time. I don't know how we are going to find this, especially as an independent film. But I kind of took it as like a calling and as a challenge that there was going to be no way to cut corners on this to then that just became my marching orders. And I just literally woke up every morning for five years, just figuring out how am I going to fight like hell and comb every corner of the internet and every like nook and of my networks, expand my networks and just find people that would support the film financially. We were literally raising money from day one until the week before Tribeca. So it took the full five years to raise the full budget. Thank goodness we did but it was literally down to the wire and it only came in portions. So about every three to six months would raise like a new batch of money. We'd run out, we'd be panicked for probably two months and fearful that the whole project would get shut down, have some breakthrough, get another three or six month boost, do the whole thing over again. And that got repeated like seven or eight times over the course of the five years. It was kind of like problem solving every day. It was a huge creative challenge. I enjoyed it most days because it kept me sharp and I learned a lot. It also just did though come at a huge toll because I lived under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure for most of that time period. And I had to just hold on to a lot of faith that it was all going to work out, even in my like darkest doubts that it might not. I had to just find some sort of faith within that there was going to be something beautiful at the other end. Otherwise, I would have crumbled many, many times along the way. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about the five-year journey. And it's also interesting that your journey in some ways mirrors that of Van Jones, who also faced a lot of odds to help get the first step back past. One of the things that I like most about the film is that it deals with things that have always been some of my strong interests. For example, the question of how change gets made and the issue in political change of theory versus practice. There's a lot of philosophy of political change here, and Van articulates that, I think, throughout the film. But I think it would be helpful to just have one of you, in a nutshell, explain Van's philosophy of political change and his strategy when it comes to working with, quote, the other side. Brandon, do you want to take that? Sure. I think Van's strategy is, what can I do to get people home from prison and improve conditions for people who are currently incarcerated? He is very laser focused on that goal and that end. He is not nearly as focused on maintaining relationships, friendships in all these different spaces. He wants to keep his coalition as broad as possible, but he's not going to stop trying to accomplish that goal because some people are upset or don't agree with his strategy. And he's willing to take pretty extraordinary steps if he thinks it's going to be effective at reaching that goal. So working with Republicans and conservatives and finding common ground to affect change amidst a country where bipartisanship is required to make 
progress on these issues is at the core of his strategic approach. You know, there's a scene in the film where he's going through his bookshelves and he says, how are we going to win if we don't understand the opposition? So Van has deeply studied conservative leaders. He's built a lot of relationships with them and is very committed to creating unlikely allies to effectuate change. Just going back to your question, Ken, about the philosophy of political change, the goal behind making this film was to create an experience for audiences to see different perspectives represented within a political battle from very different viewpoints and strategies. And to your curiosity, I'm also very fascinated in what change actually looks like, how it unfolds, what are the nuances and complexities of what change looks like. A lot of the times I find storytelling around change making to be sanitized or not representing the multitude of perspectives. And I wanted to at least do everything I could to confront really difficult pain points in the change-making process when Van or Lewis are trying to work across the aisle and that's upsetting groups of people and causing these fractures. What does it look like to be in the room where those tensions and conflict is being worked out? And also to create an opportunity for audience members who come from different backgrounds to sit in the audience and watch a story unfold and have a way into the story. A lot of the times films are towing the line in one specific political viewpoint. This film uniquely reaches a very broad audience base. Patrice Cullors, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Pete White, a grassroots activist in LA from Los Angeles who are abolitionists, who oppose the First Step Act, are, I think, well represented in this film and not as antagonists as you know, really trying to empathize and connect with their point of view. Van and his team who are pursuing a path of bridge building, they're well represented in the film. Conservative leaders, Jared Kushner, Senator Rand Paul, Senator Mike Lee are well represented in the film because I want to invite people who are on the right side of the aisle to be able to watch it and trust this film. And I think the result is that you have people sitting in the audience watching the film, seeing people that they agree with, and then having an ability to empathize and connect with viewpoints that they don't agree with, but at least can understand, oh, I don't agree with Van, but now at least I understand where he's coming from. Or I hate Donald Trump. I hate Jared Kushner. I hate all these conservative people. But that's interesting that they supported this bill. And hopefully that disarms the audience in a way that can lead people in some small way to open their minds and their hearts to building relationships across some of these dividing lines. I love that scene in Van's LA apartment where he shows you his kind of crazy newfangled bookcase because it does point to the fact that theory is underlying his strategy. I do want to talk about that apartment for a minute because it's about 14 minutes into the film when you take us to his apartment in LA and he gives us a tour and this is kind of the first time we're being introduced to Van, the person, the behind the scenes Van. What were the challenges of telling the personal side of Van's story and showing us these kind of behind the scenes moments? It took us a while to build a level of trust and access that we got to those spaces. Not because Van was necessarily hiding or, or trying to shield us away from that. It was that as a media figure, he had a certain relationship to cameras and a certain expectation of how to tell stories, how to exist on camera. And I think it just took building a level of trust and intimacy where he would welcome us into his home, into his life, in particular in moments where things are not going well for him. It's one thing to show up with a camera when you're having a good day. It's another thing when you just appeared in an interview with Jared Kushner and are being dragged through the mud on social media for empowering this you know, harmful leader and to pick up the phone and call Van and say, hey, could I come over? Could I bring my camera? Could I see you, you navigating this moment? It just took me spending a lot of time with him without a camera 
him understanding that I'm not there to try to exploit his vulnerability or look down the lens at him. One of my mentors, Gordon Quinn, taught me never look down the lens at the protagonist in your film. And I stand by that ethic. And so when you're filming somebody at a moment of real challenge and adversity, you're not doing it to make them look weak. You're doing it because in the moments where they're succeeding and where they're having a triumph, it's to show that this is real life. You know, you can't connect with victories if you don't show what the heartache and the pain looks like as well. To Van's credit, in a moment where a lot of people really try to manufacture and try to sculpt the way they're represented on camera really tightly, he opened up his entire life, his entire team to Lance and I and our team at an incredibly sensitive moment when he was under enormous fire from all sides. I can't underscore enough how big of a leap of faith and courage that takes as a public figure to do that. I hope the result of that is that even if you don't agree with Van and you don't like Van, you watch this film and hopefully people have some respect for the fact that he was willing to have that level of vulnerability and openness at a difficult time. I also felt like there was a different level of vulnerability and trust probably required when you went to Tennessee with him. Because it's one thing to film with him, I think, in LA and DC and New York. Those are kind of the power centers that he's used to operating in. You go to Tennessee and that's his hometown, that's his family. It's his sister, his mom. What was it like for you to shoot in Tennessee with his family? It was difficult. You know, when I found out that Van's mom was ill, I actually decided that I didn't want to ask him if I could go with him home at that moment. As important as it is to push for access at times, it's equally as important to not push at times and to show restraint and respect for privacy that only strengthens the relationship. And so it was actually Van that invited me and Lance to come to Tennessee. I think he felt that his mom had such an outsized influence on his life and shaping the kind of leader that he was. And the fact that he was losing her in this same moment that he was trying this very public activism that was extremely controversial. I think when you're the protagonist in a film, you do play a role in trying to like make sure that the people in your life that you feel are important in telling your story are included. And I don't think it's just vanity. I don't think it's trying to control the narrative. He's an expert in his own life, you know, and he knows his mom and his sister's twin sister, not just a sister, his twin sister, played a really important role. When Van was a kid, he didn't really speak. He had a speech impediment and was almost like silent in any kind of community setting. And his sister would talk for him. If you look at Van Jones now on CNN, you'd be like, really? And so he understood that in order for the film to understand who he is and the people that helped make him who he is, that we would need to be there. And I think the scenes with Angela, his twin sister, are some of the most powerful in the film, some of the most intimate. As Lance and I are here together as brothers, there's something about a sibling relationship that disarms who you are and can kind of take you back to your childhood self. And the scenes in the film with the two of them, you see the childhood van come out and it's beautiful. There are a lot of difficult decisions that people have to make in this film. One of them is extremely poignant and it involves the activists from South Central LA who have to make the decision, am I gonna go to Washington DC with this group that Vans put together of activists from LA with folks from West Virginia? And am I going to set foot in Donald Trump's toxic White House? It's a decision that each person has to make on their own. Pete White is one of the activists and he decides, no, I'm not doing that. I can't do that in good conscience. Another activist, Tylo James, has to kind of deliberate about whether she's going to do it and ultimately decides to go to the White House. It's obviously impossible to say, but if they hadn't come, if the L.A. folks had just all said, you know, no, we're not going to do that, what would have been lost politically, strategically, emotionally if they hadn't been there? I'll just say one thing and then bring it up throw it to you. But in that moment, in a lot of moments in the film, but especially in those moments, yes, that group 
is advocating for, in that case in particular, the way that the addiction crisis has negatively impacted both of their communities and their desire to seek treatment and not incarceration of addiction. They're speaking very loudly and very directly to the Trump administration about that deep personal concern of theirs in that very specific moment. It's also kind of a, I hope, serves as a broader almost representation of just the overall power of bringing your direct experience and the ways that people are directly impacted by issues in the country into the conversation, particularly the policymaking conversation. And so in a sense, it's like, I don't have enough perspective, even after all the time I've spent on the film to know, oh, did that meeting in that moment, was that the thing that tipped the scales? There's probably nothing in the movie that you could just isolate as that one moment that was the thing that tipped the scales. It's really probably just some sort of crazy alchemy of all the things and a bunch more that we weren't privy to that ultimately play into the outcome of a bill. But I do think that you can irrefutably say that there is unquestionable power in bringing your own direct personal experience and the way that people are directly impacted by these issues to the absolute center of the conversation and putting that in front of elected officials to drive the conversation about what needs to be done. And I think that had that not been central to the strategy, and it wasn't just that group, it was Lewis Reed, Jessica Jackson, Topeka K. Sam, David Safavian, all these different people on the left and the right that were bringing their own personal experiences to the table in those rooms. Absent that, I don't think the bill would have been a reality because it would have been this intellectual argument that was a negotiation that was less tethered to how this was actually going to impact or had already impacted people. And that's what I hope comes through in those kinds of moments is just what the resonance is bringing your own personal experience. I'm not asking you to pinpoint any one reason for the fact that the First Step Act ultimately became law, but to focus in on Van's strategy. Why do you think his strategy ultimately was successful? And what can we learn from that? Brandon, why don't you take that one? I think there are many reasons why his strategy was successful. And I just want to be clear, our film follows Van, Lewis, Jessica, and this team. There are dozens of other advocates on the right and left that worked on this legislation, some of which are briefly featured in the film. Topeka K. Sam, David Safavian, Sarita Stive, Martin, countless others that were on the front lines of this fight that a feature film could have been made about them. So I think it's just important to acknowledge that. A few different things. One is that there was a deep strategic effort to nurture and develop the Republican reasons for working on criminal justice reform, which are very different than the Democratic reasons. Conservatives believe in redemption. They believe in second chances, Christian conservatives. That brings a lot of different Republican leaders to the table. Lindsey Graham is one of them, who is the co-sponsor of a new criminal justice reform bill that was introduced yesterday called the Equal Act, which would also impact tens of thousands of people. Fiscal conservatives believe in reducing wasteful government spending and are against government overreach in people's lives. The criminal justice system is a massive expenditure that is not working and is infringing upon people's individual liberties. So this issue plays at Republicans' strategy, and it took leaning into that, developing that, actually bringing that into the room and not isolating it to get their buy-in. That was one critical ingredient. Another critical ingredient was people like Louis L. Reed, Topeka Sam, David Safavian, who have had direct experience with the criminal justice system, walking into the halls of power, sitting down with policymakers, sharing what their lived experience was like in a four by nine cell, that direct human to human exchange causing policymakers to change their mind and shift how they think about this issue. Then that conversation leading to the words that are written on a piece of paper, which is called a bill. And then that bill being marked up and debated and discussed and being strengthened. And that direct advocacy that leads to that bill then made it to the floor of the House with a huge bipartisan victory to the floor of the Senate with a huge bipartisan victory, and then to the law and order president, Donald Trump, who signed it, 
it shows you the power of people's lived experience going into some uncomfortable spaces and that changing the hearts and minds of leaders. I was very cynical about the way Washington worked before working on this film. Leaving my five years on this film, I am very hopeful that there are pathways to actually make progress, but it takes really hard work. It takes having uncomfortable conversations with people that you disagree with. It takes compromise. It's messy, but it is possible. The last thing I would say it takes is leaders who held the line for issues and for things that they felt were critical that were not in the bill. So people like Patrice Cullors, people like Bonnie Watson Coleman, Congresswoman from New Jersey, who voted against the bill in the House, those leaders and advocates played a critical role because they fought to make sure that the bill got stronger and included sentencing reform. And so that was an important role in it. It wasn't just Van and the team building the bridges and creating the coalition to pass the bill. It was also the advocates on the left that were fighting to make the bill stronger, which in the end impacted a lot more people. So there's many different things that went into place to not just get a victory on this piece of legislation, but also a victory that impacted dramatically tens of thousands of people's lives. Lance and I have spent time with dozens of the people released under the first setback. These are people who were serving multiple decades behind bars for unjust drug laws. And now they're reunited with their families, in some cases years, in some cases over a decade earlier than they would have been. This is extremely consequential. It's life and death. One thing that I think the film hopefully shows as far as what it takes to get something like a bill passed is really just the direct engagement, no matter who you are, and just sitting across the room or across the table, eyeball to eyeball with someone to work something out. Just that simple but powerful thing is at the crux of, I think, so much forward progress or the, the possibility for so much progress, but also the biggest roadblock if it doesn't happen. And I think when you actually break down the components of the movie, a lot of what the movie actually is, the scenes are moments where that is happening and you're in the presence of two or more people who you would not expect to see together working something out. Sometimes there's breakthroughs, sometimes there's breakdowns, but there's an attempt to try. And I think that anyone who's trying to get something accomplished, not just in politics, but it could be in your life, in your school board, whatever the case might be. Perhaps it, if there's some lessons in the film about what's possible when you're able to have that kind of engagement, I think it's worth taking a look at. And especially in this world right now where we got not just divided, but also isolated as a result of what we just lived through. I hope that there can be some powerful lessons and just seeing what's possible when we can try to get back in more of a habit of being in direct contact with each other. The First Step Act was a long journey. It had a lot of twists and turns. Your journey to make this film is also a long one with many twists and turns. I wanted to end by asking each of you, what is the one thing you learned from this process of making this film that you know you'll be able to apply to your next film and to what comes next? Brandon, do you want to take that first? I think there have been many takeaways. So picking one is nearly impossible because like I learned how to tell a story of this level of complexity. I learned how to build relationships with all sorts of different people. I learned how Washington and policymaking works. Just so many different takeaways. But I think the biggest takeaway for me has been how to create without fear and to trust my gut and to trust and believe and nurture what feels important to me. What Van was doing was extremely controversial and caused enormous friction and tension and conflict. And in many ways, what we were trying to do in telling a story about a very controversial figure and telling that story in a way that wasn't looking down upon him, but was really trying to understand it and embrace the complexity behind it. And a film that included Jared Kushner, Donald Trump, Kim Kardashian, Bernie Sanders, lots of controversial figures in one movie at a time when people are running away from confronting difficult political conversations in art and in media, especially in the documentary field, took a lot of 
us building resilience and a high degree of tolerance of a lot of people that were critical or fearful or pushing us away from embracing that kind of controversy and complexity in the film. And there were many moments where fear of what other people might think were clouding my own internal mission as an artist and as a filmmaker. And I think months, if not years of extra labor was spent working through my own confidence in myself and what I was after. And I think moving forward, I'm going to save those months and years of heartache and internal tension and caring quite as much about how other people feel and trusting myself from the get-go, which I think leads to a more fulfilling internal existence. You feel more aligned with yourself and it leads to bolder and more impactful filmmaking. Tough act to follow, Lance, but how about you? No, it's it's funny. I guess this is why we're related. I have something <laughs> kind of similar, very similar reflection or takeaway just in terms of trusting that internal thing that in a lot of ways is the spark of the whole movie. So where it originated from was that place. So there's this kind of raw curiosity or unknowing of something that I think sparks the original question or idea from which the film begins to become something. And that's a very pure, like my lesson was to really listen to that and to take that really, really seriously, because that's where the idea and that's ultimately where your film comes from is that thing. And it's, you can't explain it beyond just knowing that it's in you and you really want to listen to that deeply. And then everything after that tends to just be doubt. A lot of the places, whether from yourself or from other people, they say, well, maybe not. Maybe that's a bad idea. Maybe it's going to take a lot of time. Maybe it's you start getting all these doubts. And so then there's this really, really important process of nurturing that original thing. And it's important to question it on some levels, but ultimately to nurture what originally drew you to want to make the thing in the first place. And I think that that's, you know, what really resonates with me about what Brandon was talking about. And basically the thing I would add is to then find people or trust and have faith that if you stay true to that thing, you will find people who also believe in being a part of that creative process and be there with you to help shepherd it through so that it can ultimately be something, you know, beautiful and powerful. And I think just this whole experience of going through these, you know, five years of making the film and two years of trying to figure out a home for it has just shown me time and time again that those people are out there. I didn't know most of them at the time that we had the original idea. And now my life is filled with people who have been champions. And so it's been a really powerful lesson for me that I think in the future, I'll trust that initial impulse more and also have more faith that the community will be out there to realize it. Brandon, do you have a recommendation for a documentary, Hidden Gem, a film that maybe doesn't get a lot of recognition that you'd like to spotlight here? Yeah, I'll spotlight the film Crisis by documentary filmmaker Robert Drew, which is one of the inspirations behind our film, The First Step. Crisis follows John F. Kennedy's administration. Robert Drew wanted to document an American presidency during a moment of crisis and was able to miraculously get access to John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Governor George Wallace in Alabama, and the first Black students to walk into school buildings during a massive crisis around the integration of schools in Alabama. The film is an example of telling the story of multiple people coming from very different perspectives, a Republican governor, a Democratic president, two Black students, verite filmmakers embedded from all these different vantage points, letting you sit in the complexities and contradictions of this moment. It's also the only time, to the best of my knowledge, that a filmmaker has really documented an American president as they've been navigating a major decision in this way. And it's definitely one of the biggest inspirations for Lance and I in our filmmaking work. And Lance, how about you? Do you have a hidden gem? I'm going to say my hidden gem that's top of mind right now today is a film called To Be Heard, co-directed by... I believe actually four people, including Roland Lajardi Lara, who unfortunately has since passed away, and our dear friend Eddie Martinez. 
It's a really wonderful film about a group of young people from New York who participate in a youth spoken word program in New York. And it's really just a beautiful coming of age story about how they're navigating all these complexities and challenges in their life and find this spoken word program and community of artists and educators who help them to navigate just all the kind of turmoil of being a young person in the city, but also tap into their talent and express their voice through spoken word. It's just a beautiful film. It's very kind of small, but powerful and mighty. It was one of the first films that we saw when Brandon and I were beginning to work together to make films. And it was the film that kind of showed us what was possible in terms of making a really powerful, big story in a kind of small narrative space and big inspiration for City of Trees and also for this film. Well, in conclusion, I just say it's been great to talk to both of you. I think the first step is clearly a major step in the Kramer's careers. You have made a really important film, a film that works on multiple levels. And I think it's a film that will live on for quite some time because it holds up a mirror about who we are as a society and how when we work together, we can get things done. So congratulations to you both. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Ken. It's been an honor to be on your show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Ken. I really, really appreciate you having us here to talk about it. Love all the questions and insights that you share with us. And also, I really just appreciated your encouragement through many stages of the process of making the first step. And so it's really an honor to talk to you now at this point, too. 